Good evening, comrades and friends. People's School for Marxist Leninist Studies, the book that was written in 1937 by leaders of the Communist Party, Alexander Bittleman, Forster, William Z. Forster, James W. Ford, and Charles Cumbin. There was four leaders of the party at the time. Comrade James Ford was an African-American who ran as vice president under the Communist Party ticket against Roosevelt, and that the head of the ticket was William Z. Forster. Okay, and they wrote this booklet on how to build a party, and that's what we're reading from now. He's talking about a united front here, how the party should be involved in the united front movement with other groups around issues. I'm going to go into this where he talks about Lenin. He said, the Communist Party of the United States, because it's a Communist Party, has to be a party of Lenin and Stalin. Very important statement. If you are not a party of Lenin and Stalin, then you're not a Communist Party. He makes it very clear. And I think that's something people should judge when they hear other groups on the left claiming that they're communist. And you find out that half of them hate Stalin, half of them are anarchists, and half of them are even anti-Lenin, and they call themselves communists. That's incorrect. It's obvious. It's an oxymoron, as we say in the English language. Nobody will conclude that, therefore, a communist party must decide to organize right now a socialist revolution. Notice the key words are right now. This, of course, is extreme. This is according to the leaders of the CP during the Stalin period. This, of course, is extreme. It is made purposely so as to show the historic approach to the question of what is the purpose of a vanguard party like us and what we can do at various historical periods. That's what makes us a vanguard party, leadership. It also must be a vanguard, but in what sense? Question. It must always fight shoulder to shoulder in the front ranks of the class interest for the interest of that class, that is always, under all conditions, the truth for a Communist Party. Second, the Communist Party, while fighting for the daily needs of the masses as part of that class, it must always, by propaganda, by agitation, and by our independent actions, it must always show the workers the deeper meaning of the struggles that we're in. It must show them the next step and work with the workers with this aim in mind that the whole movement, not only the party alone, but the whole movement has to become ripe for making these next steps. Again, the objective conditions at different times. A communist party whose struggle, whose class relations are more acute, whose political struggle is more mature, will play a more leading role than others. Though all parties are destined to play a leading role in the class struggle and in the people's movement generally, I say this in order to emphasize what has been explained by other comrades. The point is to emphasize it so that it stands out very dearly. 
We cannot permit ourselves to work in mass organizations like any other organization does. We have to work as communists, which means something much more. The term that Gus Hall used when I was in the old party in the late 70s was the communist plus. The communist plus. That's what is being said here. And to further emphasize why we, as the vanguard, must always endeavor to bring the whole movement forward to its next step. In other words, unify the people's movement so we are working on the same page. Let me discuss the idea of pushing forward the whole entire movement and not just ourselves, which is called sectarianism. There was a time when our party and the situation in the whole country was different, was less mature than it is today. We were a party mainly of propaganda at the time and agitation, and we were leaders of a minority movement. Very important ones, although, but still minority movement. Movements which played a very great role in making possible the present-day upsurge. But nevertheless, they were minority movements. Then we could more easily afford to make a rapid change in the direction from a lower stage to a higher stage. But today, and this is in 37, when we have the CIO, Congress of Industrial Organization, which we built, and a new working class movement in this country marching in the direction of progress, it has become somewhat different. It becomes possible not only for ourselves and minority movements to become ready to make the next step, but by working properly in a correct way to prepare the ground for the whole movement, not just us, in making the next step. And I believe that by carrying forward these policies in the true spirit of the Communist Manifesto, that our party can really build itself in this country. Today we're facing an upsurge. Remember that this was written in 37. Unseen and unheard of in the U.S. Before an upsurge, which Comrade Dimitrov, Georgi Dimitrov, is able to characterize as the birth of the American working class as a class. Objective conditions, if we see them nationally and internationally, and if we cannot separate the two, are very favorable to the continued growth of a new working class into a position, both organizationally and politically, of continued power and strength. Yet, it is perfectly just to ask ourselves, are we guarding against any setback? If the answer is no, then we have a different attitude. Things may take place which we cannot foresee, but we can see the strong reactionary power and strength in this country. So it is today. Party and mass movements built together. Now, there are those who have said, and in our own party, I remember hearing comments saying this, well, I'm not interested in building the mass movement. I'm just interested in building the party. And there are others who have said, similarly, I'm just interested in building the mass movement and not the party. Well, this view is incorrect, calling to all our leaders 
in this pamphlet, it says, in this connection, I should like to say a few words. Is it correct to put up one against the other as being in opposition to each other, the building of the party or the building of the mass movement? Can we say that when we build the trade union, the people's front, we build it for somebody else, question mark. And when we build the party, do we build it just for ourselves? I don't think so. I do not think that in this fashion we will really mobilize the party to build the party. What is wrong with our organizational condition and what is wrong with our method today? It is precisely that we do not do these two things together simultaneously, both things. Build the party and build the mass movement as part of an all-inclusive great task of preparing the victory, of course, of the whole class in this country. It is only when we make every party member understand that if he or she is a good trade union organizer but does not utilize every action in his mass organization, in whatever form the conditions may dictate, to build the party inside the mass organization, recruit for the party, raise the prestige of the party and of the party publications. In the same way, all party members, if they go about recruiting party members and they build a party, but in so doing, they do not build the mass movement. If they do not build those, but they're just building the party, the people's front is not doing a complete job, not doing a communist job. A communist job is a complete job. It is to strengthen the mass movement, and to strengthen the mass movement is to get better results for building the party. Only in this way can we build the party itself. Now, I'm going to stop there and open it up to any questions comparing what the comrade wrote in 1937 and our work today. How do we, as communists today, keep from falling into the ideological trap of comparing ourselves and imitating the lines of other organizations that you mentioned? For example, the CPUSA today is not Leninist. We compare ourselves to them in deciding on what we should do as a communist organization. How do we stop from falling into that ideological trap and blaze our own trail? I think what we really need to do is not take shortcuts when we're doing our own material analysis of the situation. We can't look to other organizations to tell us what our material analysis needs to be. We need to actually do the work to look into what the conditions are and what the best steps are to move forward and not just fall into the trap of trying to measure ourselves against the people around us. That's a good, good point. Thank you, Comrade. Where do I see us at this time historically? My answer to that is I think we have been pushed back to a different period. I think it's closest to the period of when we were born in 1919. I think we're really back there to a large extent. The situation is not identical, but it's very similar. We have a situation in the world where, to be honest, we don't have any internationalist, communist, 
Marxist-Leninist bastion the way we had after 1919. I see us back where we had imperialist tendencies in the world fighting, and therefore I see a lot of closeness to that period. I think we really have to start over to a large extent. At a certain point, water, when it's boiled, it turns into gas. At a certain point, it would qualitatively change, and it will push us up to a period where we should be at. So I think we have to wait. The objective conditions on the capitalism keep changing. Notice the stock market goes up, 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 and then it goes down, down, down. We're not ever going to go back to what we were. So that's my answer where we're at. We have to start building our forces all over again and get to the point that we had before. The importance of the mass organizations in terms of how they are essential in order to bring as many sectors of the working class into the movement as possible. As a Marxist-Leninist party, we're not about cherry-picking the best communists out of the working class, and we should not be too quick to be exclusionary. The role of a communist is to build the mass movement as well as the party, yes? Correct. That is the whole job of a communist, correct. To unify the mass movement against the capitalist system. That is our aim. That is our job. To avoid sectarianism. It was mentioned even in this document. He didn't call it ultra-leftism, but that's what it was. I want to go back to the next point because it's very important. It's called Marxist Propaganda Among the Masses. In conclusion, on one of the essential phases of building the party, I mention only one phase, because many have been discussed already, and time does not permit me to discuss all of them now. The one phase I want to pick up is the propaganda phase of Marxism among the masses. This is a special role of our party and of the special class tasks of the workers in the struggle for socialism. Then he mentions the area of the newspaper, that the newspaper is needed to fulfill a task as it should be. And this is important, because I have found some comrades who said we don't need a published newspaper. We all have the Internet now. Well, how valid is the Internet if you go to distribute literature, what is the literature? If we have the paper, that becomes our literature. And we go to the factories or the places where they're organizing working class people. He said, if the newspaper doesn't fulfill this task, then the chances are that in the whole party as a whole, this job will not be done well. The prestige of our publication is growing not only in the party, but also outside the party. It is therefore becoming a more potent and influential weapon in building the mass movement and building our party. It is therefore necessary when we speak of improving our propaganda on a wide mass scale, the propaganda of Marxism, that we first of all turn our attention to our newspaper, 
and how we can best organize the work through these mediums. When we speak today of the propaganda of Marxism, we speak of the teachings of Marx, of Engels, of Lenin, Comrade Stalin, on a mass scale. We are not indulging, not indulging in the use of just phases, but we are proposing to meet not only a need, which there is, but something possible and realizable. It wasn't always the case, but today, listening to the reports of the comrades from the different districts, what did they report? That the workers today are thinking politically. That they have problems and they want them solved. And if the workers have political problems and want them answered, this is our chance to bring to them Marxist answers to their questions. Therefore, instead of spreading Marxism on a small scale, we must become active on a large scale, and we must meet the needs of the masses by more circulation of our Marxist literature. In this Marxist propaganda, I wish to emphasize two points. First, something which we seem to always forget, the special role of our party in the given historical conditions, not abstractly, but in the given historical conditions. I think it could not have been better put than by Comrade Dimitrov in his recent article, which was The Communist and United Front, written in the magazine The Communist in June 1937, page 508. I'm reading the bottom. When he said that in the present historical conditions, the party fulfills the role of the vanguard, how? By being a factor of unity in the ranks of the working class, as well as in the ranks of the mass movement or the People's Front. A factor that promotes political enlightenment and it promotes understanding among the masses. It pushes the movement forward, makes impossible the victory of fascism, and I want to add to that reactionary thought, and thus creates the prerequisite for socialism. Second, in the connection with this, the role of our class, the working class, as a class, and the struggle for socialism in this country, when we speak of propaganda of socialism, we do not mean merely copying the traditions of the social democratic abstract presentation of socialism. When we speak of propaganda of socialism today, in the present period, what do we mean? We mean the following. Systemic exposure of capitalist exploitation and of the fact that fascism is a product of capitalism. It means, second, that we must always point out the leading role of the working class in the liberation of humanity from the horrors of capitalism. It means systemically popularizing the victories of socialism in other countries, for example, the Soviet Union. If we do that, we will thereby create the possibility for a much wider conversion 
of workers to the party and would also be building an independent power of the class for influence and leadership in the struggle against reaction, fascism, and war. Anybody want to say anything on what we just read? I think both the internet and newspaper are very important in building a party as I feel like the internet will be more controlled as time goes on and we certainly don't want any anti-communist propaganda going in the internet and having it controlled. If it wasn't for the internet, I, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people here probably would have even heard about the party, much less even Marxism as an idea. I was wondering if those more effective ways of propaganda. I'm glad you brought that up because this is 2020, not 1937, and definitely not 1919. So we have a high level of technology today, which we did not have in the past. So, of course, that has to be put on the same level as the printed word. I agree with you. And I think it should be a separate conversation just on technology and how we can push the party forward with the new technology. The next article is written by James W. Ford. James Ford was our candidate, as I said earlier, for vice president in the election against Roosevelt. He ran with William Z. Forster. Now, this is a very important question because it affects our party now and the importance of working among the black population in the United States. They were going through all kinds of different terms during the time this pamphlet was written. It was called Developing Negro Communist Leaders. That's what it was called. Then during the Civil Rights period, and before that it was called Colored, National Association for the Advancement of Colored Peoples, NAACP. And then after that, they were called, during the Black Liberation period, Black Panther Movement were called Blacks. Black Liberation was the name of a journal that the Communist Party put out. So I'm going to read this quickly and paraphrase it. He's going to go into historical things here, which many people may have not heard before. During the last five or six years, this was means from 30 to 37, the party has made some fine headway among black people. We have great prestige among masses and great influence among certain organizations of black people. And I'll give you an example why. This was during the time of the sharecropper movement in Alabama, in the South, that was led by communists. It was also a period of the Angela Herndon case. Angela Herndon, who was set up to die in the gas chambers. Also the period of the Scottsboro Boys. So the party, by its ideology, and by its organization of struggles for equal rights and equal opportunities and for the cultural advancement, started a renaissance in the life of black masses in the U.S. The struggles in behalf of the Scottsboro Boys for Angelo Herndon, for his freedom, for the equality in the trade union movement, for civil rights through peace and democratic movements, for opportunity for the advancement in the political field, 
have not only resulted in great advancements for black Americans generally, but have brought forth stalwart leaders and rank-and-file leaders in the trade union movement among them, such as Angelo Herndon and many others. But wide recruitment into the party, especially of black women fighters and leaders, on the basis of these advances, sadly lacks behind. We are therefore called upon to give the question of recruitment of African Americans into our party serious organizational and political attention. Happily, we are reaching a turning point in our approach, especially among black women. It is a glorious thing to find at our plenum and in the Black Commission discussions that black women are clamoring to get into our party. They are beating at our doors. I think that is a mighty fine thing. We must find a way to make it possible for black women to get into our party and into the fullest leadership in the party. We must take lessons from black organizations on this question. Women are the foremost leaders of the black community. Most organizations have an active women's leadership. On June 6th, a conference was held in Harlem by the Women's Commission on work among black women. It was the most successful conference so far. I will not speak about it in detail now, but I'm sure black women and involve them in mass activity. We must learn to take up in a mass way the special problems of black women and organize them for struggle. Another example that he gives here. He talks about Harlem Hospital issues that in Harlem. Now, sadly to say, I want everybody to know, the OCP was not able since the 70s to get any foothold in the black community until Angela Davis. When Angela Davis had her situation in California with the gun and she was put in prison and the Reagan administration tried to railroad her, that was a period of time where masses of blacks came into the party. On Staten Island, I had a daily world route in the housing projects where many black Americans in Staten Island live. And we had a good route of about 50 or 60 people that we came every weekend consistently, gave them the paper, sat down with them, had coffee at their table, and that's the way we recruit. I remember that very clearly on the Angela Davis Defense Committee. So, how does that relate to us today? Well, we're starting from scratch. You already know where we're powerful. We're powerful among young people. You know where we're growing. We're growing in the LGBT community. You know that we're growing in the trans community. You know that we're now growing, finally, in the working class trade union community, which is excellent. And now we're working among women. So where are we lacking? Let's be self-critical. We're lacking among African Americans. So that's the way we have to look at it. How can we recruit them into the party that is best served for their interests? Let's be honest, comrades. Most of the working class, percentage-wise, is minority, either Latino or African American. Most of the people in the community, even though there's been a large influx 
of upper middle class climbing. Majority are still in working class of African Americans and Latinos. That's where we should be. That's where we should be. The question is, how do we do it? There is a lot of, and I'm speaking from a personal stance from this, being mixed up black. So the African-American community is very wary of spaces that are filled generally with white people. And so following the Black Panther era, there obviously was a downtick in activity with communist activities within the black community. And that was filled back in with mostly white people. And given a lot of the history and a lot of the current systems that still affect us, it does make us wary of going to these spaces. And I also know this from personal experience working in organizing and activist spaces is a very big thing in the environmental movement. And when I did an action down in Detroit, there was a very active attempt to make sure that we weren't stepping on toes because the community there basically hated activists from the way that they were treated in the past. Thank you, Carmen, and I'm glad you brought that up because I want to correct certain things. I lived through the 70s, and the Black Panther movement became less obvious, and the party grew, the old CP. We had, as I'm telling you, we had large sections. I went to a rally for Angela Davis at Madison Square Garden, which was in Manhattan. It held 20,000 people. We filled the whole place. This was in 1971 or something. We filled the whole garden. And three-fourths of the people that were there were not white. They were black. And that was because they were coming for Angela. They saw this as a heroine who was being nailed to the cross by the white power structure. But they knew who was sponsoring the rally, and it was the CP. Now, remember, the CP in 1971 still had a lot of African-Americans in their leadership. James Jackson, a guy by the name of Steele, who was the head of the Youth League, and it's because of their activity in the late 40s and the Civil Rights Movement. So I just want to correct that vision of what was going on. In my own club in Staten Island, which was in 1970, we had four members. Two of them were African-Americans. The picture that you hear from the historians is not a correct picture for the period of the 70s. That's all I want to just clarify that. But I'm glad you said what you said because there's a lot of validity about not trusting. It's coming back today, by the way. I heard people say, we don't trust Marx and Lenin because they're white. That's simple. Well, our job is to try to clarify that explain that class is predominant, and both Marx and Lenin were talking about the class struggle. We have a big job ahead of us. Yes, you're correct. Thank you for bringing that up about how the black community is very hesitant of white-dominated communist spaces, because that definitely ties into what I wanted to say. Something that stood out to me in the text was the mentioning that black women were clamoring to get into the party at the time. And that is very indicative of a reputation that the party had, that it was beneficial and listening to black women and had black women in the leadership. And that's something that we need to work on. That includes not only steps of building mass movements that are focused on race issues. Also, there are so many cultural things in a white-dominated country, 
built on white supremacy that build us up to think that things are okay to do that is just part of our culture that are really damaging to people of color. And we need to make sure that we're addressing any sort of behaviors so that when somebody steps into this space for the first time, they're not hearing a bunch of appropriation. They're not hearing subtle little microaggressions that people think are normal that are telling them subtly that they're not welcome. So we need to work on that and make sure that we're all really open to recognizing that this is an ingrained thing in our culture that we have to actively unlearn and make sure that we're listening to each other when we're calling each other out on that. We have to ask ourselves a question. Why are we so accepted in the LGB trans community and not the same way as in the African-American community? I can tell you a specific case where the church in the African-American community was against LGBT issues. We have to deal with this in a way that we don't throw one group over for another group. That's opportunist. It's not Marxist at all. So it's a lot of work. We should also be pushing Nkrumah. Nkrumah was the first president of Ghana, and he was a Marxist, and he goes into it there. We should talk about what he was telling Africans. I have a lot to learn because I come from a certain background. I do know that racism is in all of us to a larger or lesser extent because it comes through the capitalist system that basically breeds that. As a Latino, I would have to say this is a great conversation because if you're asking the question about how to recruit more, say specifically with the Latino-Hispanic community, in some ways the answer is actually pretty easy. The Latino-Hispanic community in general in the United States is very diverse. So not only does it include indigenous people and people of European descent, but also people of African descent and Asian. And more importantly, it's the element of the gay, lesbian, transgender community. Myself, I'm not gay, but for example, my friends who are Latino and who are gay or lesbian or transgender, the one criticism that they have about their own organizations that are gay, lesbian, transgender is that many times they're headed by Caucasian people. And so they don't see an opportunity for themselves to actually come out and express themselves. So if you're looking for an angle, there it is. Believe me, because a lot of them are working class and they come from working class backgrounds. You talked about how the party was participating in building crop shares in Alabama. What policies were those and would they be useful in reviving them now, especially with COVID-19 where facing a food security crisis in many parts of the country. So generally in helping the working class, what were those policies? And do you think it would be worthwhile to try to tackle that in mass organizations, try to attract a more diverse background? Sharecropping was a system. It was predominant in this time period this book was written, but it isn't really around anymore. But rural poverty is, and much of the South is still impoverished, especially African-Americans in the Black Belt, which extends from Virginia into the Mississippi Valley. The old discussion I've heard by Young People Now Party, and I remember sitting in the class of the old party when I first joined in 1969, that this idea of the Salvation Army approach, or as some of us will call the soup kitchen approach, I hear young people wanting to help the members of the working class who are not able to exist in this capitalist society anymore. 
because of rents and everything else, and they talk about food not bombs and things like that. Well, I could only tell you what I was told when I was younger. That's not the job of a Bolshevik party. I still hold to that. Lenin did not concentrate on feeding the peasants who were starving or had no roof over them in Tsarist Russia. They had their own role to lead, and that was definitely not to the Salvation Army, where you sit down, have food, very similar to what the Black Panthers did. They followed the Salvation Army thing, and they took it a step further. They had schools for the children to teach them things, sort of like creating a subculture next to the major culture in a society. Reminds me of the cooperative movement of the communes in the 60s, where they tried to set up a socialist living commune inside a capitalist system. And my experience with that and what I know of history, it doesn't work. It only works if you have a certain leverage of where you are. For example, in the 20s and early 30s, people have to know this. We had our own culture where people met at the communist camps, fell in love, got married, had a family. Family was sent to the children's camps. The doctors, I keep mentioning to this if I haven't said it to you before, we had our own doctors. We had our own dentists. We had our own colleges. The Jefferson School for Social Research in New York. There was one on the West Coast, the California Labor School. And so by being among our own, we were able to see that what we're doing is normal. Once you're out there comparing yourself to the masses of people that are subjugated to capitalist propaganda and education, we were looked at as separate and an oddity. And our young people did not stay. A lot of them left. Parents had children who disowned their parents. So the reason why I'm going into all this, I think that's a big part of this. Again, how did we have all the black Americans in the CP in the 30s and in the 60s? Even though the 50s destroyed that history, it came back again. Number one is we had leaders who identified as black American leaders. We don't have that, unfortunately. We need to get people who identify as women. In the ethnic communities, we lost everything we had. We had Italian-Americans who were anti-fascist and pro-integration in the 30s and 40s. When I grew up in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, that was already under attack during the McCarthy period. So in my family, my grandmother, who was Italian, was anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish, anti-black. See, once we don't have a counter-culture to offer ethnic people, and other peoples, the right is going to come in and fill in the vacuum. So I'm going to stop it right there. I would recommend, in terms of the subject, The Meaning of San Rafael by Henry. Oh, Lincoln. yes. I think that's very applicable. Write this down, everyone. The Meaning of San Rafael, written by Henry Winston. We're going to end the class now. I want to thank everybody for getting on. I hope we all learned something. Thank you, comrade. Take care. Thank you for watching this full-length class from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. For more information, or if you're interested in attending classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube channel, or email info at psmls.org.